Today's reading is taken from Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11, on page 1019 in the Bibles. Jesus anointed at Bethany. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Well, um, yeah, do keep the passage open in front of you. So page 1019, 1020. Uh, And if you want to grab one of the packs, uh, feel free to do so. Children, if you want to do that, there's a sheet in there. You can fill in the gaps for uh, the points for the sermon, uh, which you might find helpful. And um, everyone else, if you want to grab the notice sheet on the back of it, you've got the points on there as well. Let me lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you uh, for this passage, for this woman who came and poured this perfume on Jesus. And we pray that you would help us, that we would respond to Jesus with our hearts as well. And that through what we read here, your spirit would be at work in each of us to change us and to bring us to Jesus and to respond to him. Amen. So our last person Jesus meets in this series is this very extravagant woman. And thank you, Chris, for explaining the word extravagant to us. She comes and she pours this perfume over Jesus's head. It is an incredible gift that she gives. It is an overflowing heart moved by Jesus. And yet again, as we've seen before in this series, you see someone here who, is, who has truly met Jesus and has been changed from the inside. You see, this was no mere formal ritual, was it? It wasn't 
an emotionless obeying of a rule. This was a heart just delighting in Jesus and wanting to give him something. And we've seen before in this series, as we've seen Jesus meet with other people, that it is a heart change that is needed. That to be a Christian is to have an inner transformation, which then changes your life. We saw it with religious Nicodemus. Very religious man would have done a whole load of rituals and religious duties and uh, ceremonies. And yet Jesus said to him, you need to be born again. And we saw that that was an inner change. It was to be born of, of water and the spirit. That's an inner transformation, isn't it? We saw it as well with Zacchaeus, this man who, having met Jesus, was so transformed inside that he then went from being someone who was enslaved to money and to a a delight, a joy in money, to being able to give it away. Christianity, you see, could never be summed up by a mere set of actions or rituals or services, all of which may be good things. But to be a Christian requires an inner change, a heart change, which can only happen when we encounter Jesus. And the person we're looking at today will help us to see not just another person whose heart was changed, but also how our hearts can be changed as well. So we're going to think about this, as usual, with three points. And the first is, uh, it should come up on the screen. Here we go. So uh, the first is an overflowing heart. Oh, hello. That's last, week. that's last week's sermon. We've got two options now. I can either go and get the notes from last week. Or I keep going and they'll catch up with us. Uh, let's keep going with this passage. Uh, so go with the, the, the notes on the, on the handout there. An overflowing heart. This woman comes to Jesus while he's at the home of a man called Simon the leper. Um, there we go. A very extravagant woman. An overflowing heart. There we are. Uh, he go, she goes to Jesus when he's at the house of a guy called Simon the leper. We see that in verse 3. Now, we don't know much about this guy, Simon the leper. We don't know whether... uh, I mean, he can't have leprosy at this point because um, he wouldn't have been allowed to associate with other people to touch other people. You know, people wouldn't have been allowed to his house. So he can't have it at that point. And maybe he was someone who used to have leprosy, which was a skin disease, and maybe Jesus had healed him. Uh, Maybe that's what had happened. We don't really know. And anyway, the story's not about him, so we're going to move on. So we come to the woman. She comes to the house where Jesus is reclining, it says. Now, he's probably reclining because he's probably having a meal there. And she comes to Jesus, carrying in her hands what verse 3 says is an an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. It's pure nard. I I didn't look up what nard is, but the point uh, from the verses is that this is very expensive. That's the point that's sort of rammed home, isn't it? It says there it's very expensive. Verse 5 tells us um, that it could have been sold for more than a year's wages. Now, I looked up online what the average wage is in this country. The average wage apparently is about £30,000. So could you imagine some perfume that is worth 
£30,000. We went through duty-free at the airport this summer, saw all the perfumes I saw. I didn't look at them all, but I don't think there were any there that you could buy that would be £30,000. That's an amazing price for this perfume, isn't it? And in those days, apparently, this jar of perfume, it might have been a family heirloom, passed down from generation to generation. Grandparents passed it down to her parents, passed it down to her. Maybe it was there as their security as a family, that there for a rainy day, if things go horribly wrong and they need it, they've got that perfume. Maybe it was their security as a family. Well, she takes this valuable jar of perfume and she breaks it and she pours it over Jesus's head. Can you imagine the gasps from the onlookers as this valuable perfume poured on Jesus's head, runs down his face, soaks his clothes, drips onto the floor. As I said, this shows a heart which is just moved by Jesus, isn't it? She just wanted, out of love for him, to give something so incredibly valuable. Possibly giving up her future, giving up her security, because she wanted to give it to Jesus. And she, of course, is in stark contrast to almost everyone else who's mentioned in the passage. Because at the beginning, you're told about religious leaders who want to kill Jesus. And then you find out later on there are people in the crowd, disciples as we, uh, as we know from elsewhere, who, who grumble about what she's doing. She's in stark contrast to them that she loves Jesus and just wants to give. And so the challenge for us is, do we see Jesus as she did? Are we so gripped by him that we too want to do extravagant things for him, that nothing is too much for Jesus? Now, the sharp amongst us will spot that uh, this is similar in some ways to last week's passage, isn't it? Um, maybe you've spotted this already, that both Zacchaeus and this woman give extravagantly. They give lavishly. Now, I wasn't so sharp when I was planning the sermon series. I didn't spot that. And you might think, come on, Bart, blindingly obvious. And therefore, maybe there's similar applications here. Now, you could draw conclusions about this, maybe about the alertness of the minister. But I believe in the providence of God and that there is a purpose in all things. And therefore, when you see or when you hear something coming back more than once, let's assume that God is trying to make a point to us. I think that is a safe thing to assume, isn't it? If God's in control of all things, you'll spot this in other things. If you're day by day reading your Bible, as we're encouraged to do, as we need to do as Christians, there will be times where things come up more than once, won't there? Maybe you read it in your own Bible times, and then the following Sunday, the same passage is being preached on, and then maybe someone texts you and says, I, you know, I just felt I wanted to give you this verse from the Bible, and it's from the same passage. When those things happen, I think we should sit up, shouldn't we? 
and say, God, what, what, you're trying to get my attention here. What are you trying to underline to me? What do I need to learn? Well, since the same theme is arising, maybe we should pay attention rather than assuming the opposite and assuming that we've heard it all before. Maybe I need to pay attention particularly. She was moved out of love for Jesus to give lavishly. I wonder, do you know Jesus like that? like she did, as Zacchaeus came to know Jesus, to be so confronted with him, so, uh, so delighted with him, that you want to do something extravagant. Because actually, to be a Christian, we need to give uh, not just a year's wages, we are called to give our whole lives, aren't we? Uh, Romans chapter 12, the beginning of the chapter says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What is worship as Christians? It is our whole lives poured out for Jesus, devoted to him. Out of ritual? No. The verse in Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. It is a response, isn't it? A response of love. That we would pour out our whole lives, give everything to God. That is the right response. But maybe you want to express that love, as she did, as this woman did, in some extravagant way. Maybe you look back on your Christian life and you say, well, yeah, I remember having that kind of feeling about Jesus a long time ago, but it's not been recent. Can I encourage you to pray that that would come back? That as you look at Jesus, so you would be stirred to give. But maybe there are some now who are saying, actually, I just want to do something extravagant for Jesus because I love him. Well, don't let that feeling go. Respond. Do something. Maybe it's financial giving. Might be, but it doesn't have to be. It could be all kinds of things that you might say, I, I want to do this out of an expression of love for Jesus. Maybe it's to do with time, energy, career. Maybe it's giving up things so that you go, I, you know, I just want to devote myself to Jesus in a greater way. All Christians are called to devote themselves to Jesus with the whole of their lives, but maybe there's something you particularly want to do right now well don't hold off don't let that feeling die so there's the woman and her extravagant overflowing heart second you've got the grumbling onlookers the grumblers as the perfume is poured out over Jesus there are those in the crowd who just have in mind that this is a waste. Verses four and five, have a look. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. To them, it just seems an appalling waste. 30,000 pounds worth of, of perfume dripping down. You wonder whether some of them were there with little containers trying to get some off the floor because they just thought, it's just such a waste. 
And can you imagine being that woman, having done this extravagant thing, yet people are telling her off? How humiliated she would have felt, embarrassed. But we need to realise that devotion to Jesus will always bring about the ridicule of the world, of those who just don't get it who don't see Jesus as being as wonderful as he is. J.C. Ryle uh, wrote about this. Uh, J.C. Ryle, he was uh, the first bishop of Liverpool, uh, 19th century, uh, and and he wrote this about uh, this, and about the world and, and how people respond to those who devote themselves to Jesus. This is what he says. If a man devotes, a man or woman, just the way they wrote then. If a man devotes his time, money, and affections to the pursuit of worldly things, they do not blame him. If he gives himself up to the service of money, pleasure, or politics, they find no fault. But if the same man devotes himself and all he has to Christ, they can scarcely find words to express their sense of his folly. He's beside himself. He's out of his mind. He's a fanatic. He's an enthusiast. He is an extreme man. In short, they regard it as a waste. Let charges like these not disturb us, if we hear them made against us, because we strive to serve Christ. Let us bear them patiently, and remember that they are as old as Christianity itself. Let us pity those who make such charges against believers. They show plainly that they have no sense of obligation to Christ. A cold heart makes a slow hand. If a man once understands the sinfulness of sin and the mercy of Christ in dying for him, he will never think anything too good or too costly to give to Christ. Well, we aren't much different today, are we? That if people devote themselves to their careers or to charity work or to a cause, even to global warming, people will praise them and think what wonderful thing that they're doing. But if you devote yourself and your whole life to Christ, people will think you're mad. People will think it is a waste of a life. Don't be put off by the attitudes of others. For many of us, this is hard to do because we have our eyes very firmly fixed on other people and their opinions of us. We live our lives for the approval of others, over-interpreting every turn of phrase, every facial expression, every ambiguous email or message that we worry what other people will think of us, always on the knife edge of people's approval or disapproval. Well, this woman very firmly had people's disapproval, but she had Jesus' approval. And that's what matters. And it's to that that we turn last. People grumbled at her, but lastly, a beautiful thing. The people at the house tell her off for her extravagance, but hear the words of Jesus. Hear them as she would have heard them. Maybe feeling embarrassed, maybe feeling humiliated after having been told off. Verse 6 Leave her alone said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. 
The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She did a beautiful thing. The word translated beautiful can also be translated good. Uh, it's probably both things together. It's, it's good and beautiful. And Jesus says it was beautiful. It was good. He doesn't say, well, it was a good thing, but you really only needed to give a few drops. That would have been enough. There is nothing negative in him towards her. It was extravagant, so extravagant as to be risky for her. But Jesus said it was so good. And he addresses the grumblers. I've already read it there. He addresses the grumblers. And he says to them, the poor you'll always have with you and you can help them anytime you want. Which is a wonderful little thing. He's not in any way negative about people who give to the poor. He's not downplaying that at all. And he actually gives them a challenge, doesn't he? He says, you know, the poor are with you all the time. You can help them whenever you want. Which is a challenge, isn't it, to say, are you helping them? You know, you grumblers who think, well, this could have been given to the poor. Are you helping the poor? Yeah, they're there. You could help them. But Jesus then tells them why it was so good and beautiful that, Jesus, that this woman poured the perfume on him on that day. You see, it was particularly good then. In fact, the occasion demanded it. You know, there are some occasions when it is, it's good, it's right to be extravagant, isn't it? And where those who would sort of look down on such extravagance have got it wrong. For instance, if you've got a significant birthday that you celebrate, you know, one with a zero on it, and you go, well, you know, we're going to celebrate, we're going we're to push the boat out, we're going we're to do something special. It would be a very grumpy person at that point who would say, well, this is just extravagant, isn't it? Or if it was a wedding day, as if someone would go to the, the, the reception and say, well, this money could have been given to the poor, couldn't it? No, the occasion demands it. You've got to be extravagant. There are different degrees of it, different occasions, but you kind of feel, no, it's right. It's a good thing. And Jesus is saying, look, this occasion demands extravagance from this woman, this sacrifice that she gave. Why? What was it? Verse 8. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. So the occasion is his death and burial, which those gathered in the, in the room are just blind to. They don't know that that's what's coming. Did she know? I mean, Jesus is saying she did this to prepare for my burial. Did she know he was going to die and that's why she came? Well, some say not that this was Jesus explaining it and giving it extra meaning. But maybe she knew. After all, Jesus hasn't kept this a secret. He's told them many times, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to be killed. So maybe she's just saying, I know you've said this is going to happen. And so I'm going to do this. Well, you can go one way or the other on that. But moved by Jesus, she pours this out and Jesus says, yes, this was in preparation for my death. He says, that's the big occasion. 
And how appropriate that when the Son of God is about to be killed, that this hugely expensive perfume be poured out on him. A valuable sacrificial gift poured over the one who himself will be a valuable sacrificial gift. This woman with a heart overflowing with love for Jesus, who himself is overflowing with a love that will take him to to the cross. And yet, though Jesus says the occasion demands it, the order of things is odd, isn't it? After all, who anoints a body for burial before it's died? You don't do that, do you? It's inappropriate. It's the wrong order. As someone has said, it it would be like going to a a flock of sheep on a hillside with a pot of mint sauce ready to put it on them before they've been slaughtered. Why now? It's curious, isn't it? Why would the anointing of his body be before he's died? Well, as the speaker at Word Alive, when we were there, said, and I think you had a good point, he said, why, why, why this order of things? Well, maybe it's because the body would not be in the tomb long enough for the anointing to be done after he died. The women on the Sunday morning go to the tomb after Jesus has been crucified and buried. They go to the tomb with spices to anoint his body, but it's too late. He's already risen. You see, there's a hint here at the resurrection, which is also there in verse 9. Truly, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. He's saying uh, he's looking beyond the cross. He's looking to when the gospel will be preached throughout the world. And what is this gospel? It is of his death and resurrection And that forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed and eternal life will be able to be had through Christ and through his death for us. So what's our response to this? It is to see what the people in the room did not. To see and understand the things they were blind to. To see the goodness and beauty of what this woman did. They thought she was wasting a lot of money, but it wasn't a waste. She was doing what the occasion demanded, overflowing generosity in response to Jesus' coming death, which directs us to Jesus' death. And this is how we can be changed too, how our hearts can be changed too, as we come to look at Jesus' death. You see, she responded with a beautiful act to Jesus's beautiful act and we are to look at Jesus's beautiful act his death and resurrection his generous giving and response respond to that did she understand the cross even if she okay even if she knew Jesus was going to die did she understand it did she understand all that it meant that he was dying for us, in our place, taking sin for those who will come to him, that we could be washed clean and forget. Did she know all that? I don't think so. Maybe she did, but I don't think so. And yet she responded with a heart like this to Jesus. We know so much more. We know so much more about what it meant. 
Shouldn't our hearts be even more overflowing with love compared to hers? Well, this is how our hearts can be changed. By coming to Jesus, the one who died for us. Let your heart be melted by the cross that he came to die for you out of love for you. Be transformed by his grace that he would do it for you. Because as that sinks in, as we see and know what he gave for us, we too will be moved to respond. And so we're going to be taking communion in a few moments. Make that your response, that as we remember Jesus' death for us, that this wouldn't be a mere remembrance, would be a heart engaged, overflowing with love for what he gave for us.